What's going on, everybody? Just a couple of notes before the episode. Please subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Brennan Tassif. Thank you to all of those who subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to sport any of the X Drinking Buddy merch, go to the website, brennantcomedy.com slash merch store. We've got hoodies, crop tops, t-shirts. I can't thank you all enough for listening. Please enjoy the episode. Huge guest today. It's going to be so much fun. Grab me a beer and grab him a coat. We about to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he done sobered up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. Brandon Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. I'm your host, Brennan Tassif. Rundown of the show. If you are new to the show, I am sober now, but one of my favorite things of all time to do is to hang out with friends and reminisce about old drinking stories, getting in trouble stories, drug stories, just all sorts of shenanigans. I will be joined by a guest, and this week is no different. I have the honor of being joined by photographer, uh, documentarian in the midst of making a documentary right now, podcaster, just overall hilarious person, Mr. Mike Carano. Is that my cue right there? Yeah, that's to it. Come in. We're going. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's ironic that we're doing a show sort of based on not drinking. It looks like I'm having beer. Oh, it does. It looks like a uh, champagne of beers. Every time I grab one of these suckers and get it's a Martinelli's apple juice, by the way. But every time I grab one of these and get in the car, I'm like, ah, I hope a cop doesn't see this. See, I have the opposite effect. Since I've gotten sober, I'm always just like, get, please, please. Give me a reason to get pulled over. <laughs> After I still a- want them to ask me, have you been drinking? Yes. <laughs> Because I had two DUIs and I've, uh, oh, after, man. yeah, after being arrested, I've been arrested eight times, all of which had to do with booze. So, of course. Every, yeah, of every, course. every time now, I'm always just like, because I work in the restaurant industry or I'm out doing shows for comedy. So, I'm always just like, please, please, I want you so badly. Registration's up to date, insurance is in the right name, address yep. is all matched. Like, please pull me over. Me too, man. The restaurant, I was in the restaurant business for a long time. Yeah. Well, that's so let's get into it. Um, so for those of you listening who might not know, Mike, um, you are a part of the Pad Boys, the After Disaster podcast. Yep. We had the president, all hail the chief, um, mm. on a couple weeks ago. Was he drunk? Was he high and drunk? <laughs> he was drinking Probably. wine. He was, yeah, he was drinking wine. I'm not sure if he was high or not, but yeah, we had him on. We talked a lot about the origins of the After Disaster, kind of how that all got started. I don't want to say like share a special bond, but because you and I are both sober i kind of wanted to get into how that happened for you so i i if you don't mind i'd like you to take me back like how did you start because you worked at the improv for years yeah 30 years yeah and so what was your role because i know you have pictures of all these super huge famous comedians and i know you've told stories about different things what was your role like exactly with the improv i started as a doorman in 1987 Okay. And then kind of became an assistant manager. Not kind of. You became and then an my boss, who's now like one of the biggest comedy managers in the world at the time, left to become a manager and I got his job. So I was the GM and I got to book the club and do oh. whatever I wanted for See, a long time. That's awesome. That's, it was and, awesome in my 20s. It was the best, yeah. man. First yeah, well, couple of years were incredible. I can't imagine because I've worked in the restaurant industry now for a long time. And every time I go into comedy clubs, 
the my first thought is always oh this is just a restaurant that has a stage so yeah. it's it's just that kind of but to be able to book and i know i've and i was talking to some of the people on the chat about this is i've whenever you came on to the friday calls that we do for the new low network i always wanted to get more in depth because i love comedy and the listeners know like comedy something that saved my life when i was going through real bad depression and stuff when i was younger my I cousin bet. yeah my cousin introduced me to stand up so like mitch hedberg um stephen lynch's um very early days tom rhodes who i had the uh, pleasure of meeting in new york city but i've been listening i know to tom him. very well yeah I've been in listening. fact coincidentally the guy who who was who's my one of my best friends we just we actually just went to the comedy store two nights ago he when he split to become a manager he told me flat out i'm gonna manage that guy and it was tom rhodes and he did i love that was tom. his first client tom was one of the original comedy central presents that i ever saw I taped it on a vhs and that was the the like when they first started doing that and uh yeah, his joke about uh, uh, German should have dropped cookbooks on you motherfuckers. Yep. yeah, yep. One of my favorite yep. bits of all time. But I love John Lee Hooker. And every time I buy <laughs> one of his albums, <laughs> I think it's going to be his happy album. <laughs> but uh, so you started that. Okay, so you're a young guy. You because you, you're a California guy, right? Uh, born in Arizona, moved to San Diego. Okay. Because I, I know you go to San Diego still because that's uh, yeah. where your dad's shop is at and everything. Um, yep. So what was that like to start as a doorman and then eventually become a GM? Not like I obviously it was a lot of fun because you're in your 20s and you're it was one of the one of the best times of my life. Like OK, the, being a doorman at the improv was one of the best times of my life. It was much more fun than being a general manager and a booker. Yeah. But I mean, the, being the GM was fun in its own way because I got a lot of free I mean, not, I don't want to say free stuff, but I got, you know, I got to go to any concert I wanted to anytime. Yeah. It comes with a Just lot a of phone perks. call away. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, were you, did you start drinking? Uh, like, were you drinking and partying and having like a good time when you were a doorman? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No yeah. hesitation. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, cause I know I've heard you tell stories about like for lunch, when you were the GM and stuff for lunch, you'd go out and you, you know, have a couple of drinks and go back to the club and do that kind of thing. But were you just having a good time back then? Because in my yeah. experience, it was fun until it wasn't. At 100%, man. Okay. I mean, to, to cut to the point where it wasn't, I know when it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. I and actually, I still did it for 10 more years. Yep. I have the same, yep, same exact yeah. thing. I I can pinpoint exactly when I crossed Me the too. line from heavy drinking into, oh, my God, I have a serious problem. And I did it for I never thought I had a that. problem. Oh, really? I never thought I had a problem. Okay. So I, cause I, I, and I was, I've told this story before, but I, I was the kind of person where when I stopped playing football, cause I have an addictive personality. So I played college football. And then when that was over, cause I kept getting hurt, I didn't know what to do with all my time. So I kept, yep. drinking. then I got into a toxic relationship where I, it was long distance and I was just worried all the time. So in order to calm that, I would just drink all day like and i was working in the service industry and you can do that drunk obviously we all know that <laughs> yes so, you can I've done, <laughs> I've done most of my jobs drunk yeah but that's done the after disaster drunk i've done <laughs> photography drunk i've done everything we talked drunk. about the machete episode and the lost episode mm -hmm. yeah we went yeah that was that was good times but that that was kind of that summer where i couldn't stop drinking is when i realized but i still did it for years after that but i was aware not by my own accord, but I, ta people taking me aside saying, hey, like, what's going on? Like, you need to. Slow. So I was kind of wow. like, oh, maybe I have an issue, but I still kept drinking. Like, there was 
three or four more bottoms after that before I was like, yeah. okay, I need, I need to stop. So in that environment, um, what, like, what's like a day, like when you're be at the GM or the doorman, like, do you, are you getting there at like seven o'clock at night? You guys are, you're hanging out with comics. Like, no, I'm so I, no I was there all the time. Comedy. Okay. I was there all the time. Like I was obsessed with that place when I was a kid and I would go in there and do free work during the day. I mean, that's kind of why I got promoted so fast was because I would just go in there and work. Yeah. And I just wanted to be around it. I wanted to be there all the time. And then, you know, realistically, I didn't have to be there till five o'clock at night. And it was a very, very fun, easy job. And we would set the room up and then we would seat people. And then we would stand around and watch the entire show. We had to stay in the showroom the whole time. And then servers would bust the whole room when it was over. And then we would all go out drinking every single night of the week. And people who were off would come in to go out for the drinking part. Oh, that's and we would awesome. go next door and we'd drink until they closed the bar and a bunch of people would go buy a couple of cases of beer and we'd walk a block to the beach and sit on the beach and drink till two or three. And then I go home, take a shower and wake up at noon and do it do all it over again. again for years, for years. I, it was great. It was so much fun. That is the one thing that I don't understand in um, certain circles that we run in is where people, you know, I have a bit about it, but that common phrase that my, you know, my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk. And I don't know if you agree or not, but I'm always like, God, like, what were you doing? Like, I had great yeah. days drinking. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't even want to think mind? about that. I don't know. I don't want to. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know, man. No, you I know. I don't want you to. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I had some an amazing time, but the truth is the last like 10 years of it were just horrible. Yeah. Like, horrible. 24 seven. No, and I understand that. And trust me, my my last drunk was being rushed to the ER for alcohol poisoning and being. Wow. Yeah, I got told by a doc. I, long story. Um, for those of you listening, if you want to hear the full story, it's on episode uh, seven of this podcast. But I lost my mind. You know, the, the, that incomprehensible. I was just like, I I can't live this way anymore. And yeah. so I just started drinking. And it got to the point where I had a friend in town randomly. I texted him my address and I never leave my front door unlocked, but I happened to not lock my front door and he kept calling and calling and then banging on the door and then walked in and I was out in the bathroom, like just covered in vomit. Long story short, he rushed me to the ER and the doctor told me, he goes, you know, if your tolerance wasn't as high as it was, you would have been dead six hours ago. Wow. And wow. that's, you know, my fiance left me. I lost countless jobs, like money. Yep. None of that was ever an issue for me. Cause I could always find, you know, I'd always get stuff back, but when that happened, I was just like, okay, well, doomed youth is very romantic, but doomed middle age is just sad. Hey, man, I had the same exact experience. I did not think of it until very close to my, and let me keep, tell you right now, I had no plans to stop drinking. I had no idea I had a problem. I yeah. just knew I was super depressed and my depression got to such a point where I called Dr. Drew and I was in like a panic attack. Like I was like, this is something bad's going to happen. And I go, I, I just know it. And like I was going to kill myself. Yeah. I mean, I really felt it, really felt it. And he took me to uh, Huntington Hospital and, you know, that's how it started. I had no idea sobriety was coming. The doctor okay. said he wouldn't. Well, he said he wouldn't treat me until I uh, stopped drinking for 48 or 72 hours. And he's like, can you do that? I'm like, yeah. And then <laughs> no I problem. left and I was like. I don't, I don't know, know if I, I can. Do <laughs> I don't think I did it, by the way. And I went back and they did blood tests and stuff. And he goes, you got a, you got some problems here, some health problems. 
And then he goes, most of your problems could be drinking related. And I was like, huh? And I, I did not see that coming, man. That's, and it's interesting. Cause I know you brought it up on a, a recent after disaster, <clears throat> I believe, but you, how you were talking about like, oh, isn't it crazy that the doctor you sent me to also helped me yeah. to get sober? Oh, yeah. We were having dinner at Farmer's yeah. Market like less like, than two yeah, years ago. And I, I go, isn't that a weird coincidence that the doctor <laughs> you sent me to talk to me about drinking? He's like, no. So I was like, huh? Oh, I thought it was a coincidence. This whole time you thought it was just happenstance. <laughs> There's an age gap between us and you live, you grew up your whole life on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast. But the stories, while they might not be the same characters, it's the same plot line for a lot of them. Of course. Yeah. yeah so. But I, I, wanted to I wanted to touch on what you said a minute ago, feeling like you're too old for what you were doing. Yeah. There was a point where I was probably 42 and I was still doing shots at Jägermeister before I oh. left every night at every club. And I went to two or three clubs a night. Yeah. Or at least I was at Melrose till closing. And I was already drunk, drunk. And I would do a double shot of Jägermeister. And Ooh. then if I got stopped at the door to talk to somebody, and I, if I talked to somebody for 15 minutes at the door, a comic, I would go back in and do another shot. And then I'd get in my car and I would drive about 10 blocks away and park and get out and walk thinking I was sobering up for like five minutes and then I would drive back to Orange County and I did that almost seven nights a week for probably 10 years. Wow. But I started thinking like, this is embarrassing that I'm doing Jägermeister shots and I'm in my forties. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a young man's kind of shot. Like I stopped doing those back in college because that was, that stuff is rough. Yeah. Well, you know, what, I rotated uh, through everything. I, yeah. I, every drink, I margaritas for two years. Then, then martinis stuck around for a long time. I know that's that was your big go-to was the martinis. Yeah. Well, then I then I wanted to be sophisticated, so I started drinking scotch. Ooh, that was good though. I yeah. liked it. Scotch is my my thing was always in uh, my thing was always rum in college, and then uh, I did vodka because you know the old wives' tale. You know you can't yeah. smell vodka yeah. on your breath. Yeah. The hangovers are less with vodka, so I switched to vodka, and I just did smearing off out of the plastic bottle I, that was my go-to so i'd leave work and if i had 26 dollars and 48 cents i could get a handle of smirnoff and a pack of cigarettes that's a lot too yeah that's all i needed baby and that I, handle would last me about a day and a half yeah i think like 2005 or 2006 i had this great idea where i would take a fiji bottle at the improv <laughs> i i wouldn't even drink it i dumped the water in the sink yeah and i filled it up with gray goose and that was my emergency backup. And I left oh, it in we, the car. The trunk vodka was, is something that's been discussed yeah, on this show. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it was interesting because we were talking about it with uh, Ty Ty a few weeks ago, but I had never thought to do that until you revealed it on the after disaster. And this was after you had gotten sober and I was still drinking. And I was like, that's a genius idea. <laughs> put, it, put it in a water bottle. Well, I have a friend who told me he, I mean, I think he might still be doing this, but he gets, he has a Starbucks cup. Yeah. And he fills it with white wine and just Oof. drives, you know, like when he's going to a show or something, just yeah. drinks out of his Starbucks cup. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that's it's a it's fascinating. Some of the stuff because I live in Florida. So that that trunk vodka after I got that idea, when I would started going like when I was working and like I had a car because there's very few times since I've been 18 or since I've been 21 that I've had a car because of the two DUIs. But yeah. I would just throw it in the trunk and then you know, that lull in between service, I'd go out to my car and this is when I worked at breakfast. So it's noon, you know, it's oh. like, at this point, it's like, it's probably like 10 30, 11. So the breakfast rush is over. We're getting into the lunch rush and I'd go out 
smoke a cigarette, middle of service, just be like, hey, watch my tables. And then just chug the trunk vodka, 100 degrees outside, just did not have a care or a worry in the world, man. Yep, yep. I, I got to say, there was there was such a rush of excitement. Like, I was a kid. I was a doorman at the improv. I probably worked there a month, and it was New Year's Eve. And the bartender's like, hey, come over here. And he put shots on the bar. And I was scared to death. I was like, I don't want to get fired. And he's like, it's cool. And the, the manager was looking at me from across the bar, and he went, it's okay. Oh, wow. And they, I mean, it was only New Year's. It yeah. was only New Year's. And it was like such so much fun having a buzz at work. Yeah. I was like, this is the greatest job in the history of jobs, man. Well, and that kind of industry is fun if you can catch the right groove yeah. of being drunk. Because there are times where I've gone in and I've been like sent home. Like, all right, like you're getting a little loud. You're getting a little like, you know, boisterous, but like too much so. And they're like, all right, you, you yeah. got to go home. You're forgetting what tables you have. You're, you know, you're not writing down orders. But then I got sent times... home from high school a couple times. Oh, for drinking too much? Yeah, but it was, I was lucky because the teacher, I don't know if he understood or if he was, I don't know what the deal was. He always cut me a break. He'd go, you smell like a brewery, go lay down. And he would let me go in the art room, the art teacher. He would let me go and lay down in there for like an hour. Really? He did it a bunch of times. Yeah, he was. So, he wasn't happy about it, but he didn't call the he didn't call the principal or anything. He just let me lay down. Wow. When did you? So when did you start drinking? Because I didn't start drinking until after high school. So I always find this fascinating. Um, the first time I drank was at a wedding, and my sister and I just I think I was like twelve, and my sister and I got a glass of champagne for a toast. Yeah. And I was like, "This is the greatest thing in my life." I mean, yep. the minute I got buzzed, I was just like. The anxiety it was goes on. Yeah. But I didn't drink like till for, you know, I didn't drink after that. I drank in high school. Yeah. Okay. Was it, so was your experience the same as mine? Uh, Cause I know just listening to the after disaster and then the uh, miscellaneous adventures of Mike Carano, your solo podcast that we are kind of wired the same way when it comes to anxiety and certain things. Did of you, course. Was yeah. that the, that was the biggest thing for me was when I first got drunk, drunk. And I was like, Oh, I'm not worried about anything. Yeah, me too. It was and the that, best. Th so that was the catalyst where I was just like, this is awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> we can't. No, do this we would all drink before school. Yeah. There's a, there's a stunning, beautiful park in San Diego that overlooks the ocean and the bay. And I lived pretty close to that. And right down the hill from the park was my high school. And so okay. we would have a thing called breakfast at Kate Sessions and probably 80 kids would meet up there and we'd drink beers. Oh, wow. School. Yeah. Those are the times I got sent to go to sleep. Yeah. That's when the art teacher was. I like, wasn't drinking right. by myself at home and then going to school, but it was I'd go to breakfast at Kate Sessions. Yeah. And sometimes it was too much. So I don't think I had a problem back then, but sometimes it was just like, I can't do this today. I can't go drink and not be able to keep my eyes open for four hours after this. I think that's the, the biggest determining factor because it, there were days when I, especially when I was like in college and stuff where I was just like, no, I'm not going to, especially when I was playing football, it's like, no, I'm not going to drink today. Like no big deal. But then it became almost a, not almost, it became a job later on yeah. in my life where it's like, yeah, I don't want to drink. I don't feel like drinking, but I have to drink. Yep. And yep. it was hundred percent. And not, not only that, I'm sure you can relate to this, but all of my time, everything I did, was scheduled around drinking. Oh yeah. 100%. It was, oh, okay, we're going out to dinner so we can get drinks first, drinks at dinner, and then we can have drinks after dinner. 
every concert was okay we have drinks for i mean even in high school i would go with my brother and my sister you know we would all go to see iron maiden or judas priest or whomever and it was always always sit in the parking lot and drink beers before we went in and we were underage and that was there was just no way we were going in there without having some drinks in us just no chance 100 percent. i was always like anxious i was going to run out so i always had to buy the biggest bottle and i always had to have a, a bottle in the house so i used to do the thing where I would pay people to cover the rest of my shift. Like if I was closing and they opened, I'd be like, Hey, let's switch cuts. I'll give you 50 bucks. Cause I had to get out before the liquor store closed. That's right. Cause I was That's too right. hung over in the morning to go. So I would be like, come on, let's just switch, man. Come on, help me out. Yep. Yeah. Wow. You really, you really are. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had that experience. I, I think the last time I had it was, I know exactly where I was. It was day one of shooting on a film. And we were at the Moose Lodge somewhere in San Fernando Valley. And I remember it had like a 7 a.m. call time. So I'm like, oh, I'll be out of here by 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, 10, 11, 12. And I was in a panic attack. I was like, I have to say I have an emergency and go buy some some booze. And I ended up getting out of there like at 1245. And I flew like a maniac to the closest liquor store and bought a bottle of Jack Daniels and just took a huge swig and put it in my trunk to drive home. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, close call. Yeah. I, almost. But it was panic. It was, pa- it was it's panic. It was sheer panic. Yeah. I've done, luckily, in the internet age, I you could always just look up because we have packaging stores in Florida. So they stay open until 2 a.m. selling liquor. It's a huge markup, but you can buy bottles. So I can still name where I lived in Delray, where I went to college in Boca, um, South Florida, Jacksonville, where I live now, and Daytona, where I'm originally from, I can still tell you the three or four liquor stores that have packaging licenses. <laughs> because it's one of those things where it's like, I ha- you have, I have to get there. I cannot not get there. And then you could go to like a Walmart or a Publix liquor store or like an ABC liquor store, and it's a lot cheaper, but they close it not. Like, who closes at nine? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I wanted to uh, get your thoughts because you've been around, obviously, the world's greatest comedians for a very long time. Like, how do you view comedy? Because I see it through the lens of like I was a huge fan and then I tried it. And then after everything that happened with my last drunk and almost dying, I was like, no, I'm going to do comedy because I want to show people because I tell stories. And I I, my whole goal is to show people that, yeah, all those shitty things that can happen to you. We can laugh about it now. It's like I'm more of a dark, dingy back corner kind of guy. Uh, but um, I, I good I mean, for I, you. Well, that's what I love about it. And it's like Kyle Kinane always says, I don't need everybody. I just need enough to fill a room. Yeah. So Doug Stanhope, there's a bunch of people. Like yeah, that. I've, and yeah. And I've, I've watched Doug. Doug came to one of the places we do comedy at in Daytona. It's a hole in the wall uh, Irish pub, but we love it. And he did stand up there. He had a big show. And I then think he's, he's like, uh, one of the best comics ever. He's oh, my God. He asked his opener, he goes, hey, where do you guys go around here? And they go, oh, well, there's an open mic at Tiernanock. He's like, let's fucking go. He got on at an open mic in Daytona. Doug Stanhope was like, yeah, let's fucking do it, man. That's amazing. You're lucky you got to hang out with Doug Stanhope. Dude, those are the kind of people that I so look up to, though, because it's like yeah, they, they're in it for the love of comedy. Yeah, I like real comics, man. Yeah. So what was your... How, what was your kind of upbringing in the comedy world? Cause I, I, we won't say anything. I didn't have an upbringing in it. I, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I think my hero, as far as comedy goes, I had two people, Gary Shandling, Richard Jenny. Okay. 
and Gary Shandling was because I just saw him on television. Richard Jenny was a fluke. I happened to catch his first Tonight Show appearance, and I thought it was the funniest thing of all time. And I recorded it on a cassette player. Yep. And I listened to it a hundred times. I just recently rewatched it on YouTube, and it's still funny. Yeah. And I, he was like, they were by, like my heroes, and you know, of course, I worked in the clubs, so I, I ended up becoming friends with Jenny all the way for the yes. rest of his life. And I remember the first time I booked Gary Shandling. We got into an argument, like a serious argument, oh, wow. right before the show, and I was totally shaken up. And then he got on stage, and I just went, "Oh my God, it's Gary Shandling!" And I was like <laughs> starstruck. I was like, "Wow, there's Gary Shandling!" I was, it was the coolest man. But that's those two guys, of course, Saturday Night Live, you know. But uh, I was just—I'll um, tell you how I started working at the Improv. I—I I knew it was there. I didn't know anything about it. It was this dark, creepy place. It was a black building. It was like two blocks from where I lived at the beach in San Diego. Okay. And I had a 76 Cadillac Eldorado. And Love that car. I put it up for sale. And the guy who ran the improv bought it. And I went back like two weeks later because I didn't have a job to ask for a job. And he told me the transmission blew up. Oh, no. And I was so dumb. I still stayed there. And I went, well, can I have a job? And he, he had the weirdest job interview in the history of job. Paul Messi, I still remember him very well. Brought me in the office, sat me down, money everywhere from the night before. Yeah. And he split for like 10 minutes and came back in and just went, you start tonight. And I went, okay. And that was it. Was it a test? Was he testing you? I don't know. I don't know. I, I wanted to ask him about it. I, I messaged him on Facebook like a year ago because I wanted to sit down with the camera and ask him about that. I wanted to ask him how he perceived that interview to go because that's really what happened in my mind. And I could be mistaken. Yeah. But I do know for sure that I worked probably three weeks in a row, seven nights a week before I had the guts to go, when's my night off? And he went, tonight. I mean, it was so oh, it wow. was so flimsy, the whole thing. He's like, yeah. tonight. And I was like, all right. God, and that's that's how this whole thing started. Yeah, yeah. And how my you... first show was uh, Seinfeld and David Spade. And I, Get I'm still friends here. with Spade. Yeah, swear to God. Renee Sandoval, David Spade, Jerry Seinfeld, my very first show. Jeez. And I just saw Spade two nights ago. I see. Oh, really? I mean, well, oh, I'm still yeah. friends with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because they just opened right? the store. Just opened up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we went uh, for a roast. Oh, did you? It was like an event. Who's roast? Adam the uh, Booker. Okay. Yeah. He's I've moving heard. to Texas to book Rogan's Club. Oh, that's awesome. I've heard uh, stories. It's weird listening to now with podcasting. It's like you feel like you know these people like yeah. you have never met like i was talking to jill kimmel the other day i i mentioned this to you and i brought it up to her before and i was like yeah i was trying to book her for the show because she was in central florida and she's like oh i just don't know what the timing of the shows and stuff but we're gonna get her on and i was like yeah i'm hoping to have mike on too and she was like mike and i go carano and she goes oh, i love mike and it's like i love her yeah these weird like i like we don't actually know each other but because i've like listened to her on yeah. podcasts and I've, i actually know jill a little bit through Brant and then like listening to you for over a decade, it's like, wait, you're not friends. Like, don't introduce it like you're friends with these people. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, I, I, I haven't talked to her in a while, but I think she moved to LA actually. She did. She just got a house. Oh, closing on it okay, week. yeah. Cause I, I texted her just throwing her, all her I, business I don't know if I texted there. her. Yeah. She posted a picture of a corn of some corn dog place. And so I went there like immediately. Oh, was that and the uh, Korean corn? It's dog next place? door to an axe throwing place. Yeah, I yeah, you I was, told us about. It. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. would you post the corn dogs and not the axe throwing bar? 
What was you it? get drunk and throw axes. When you guys brought that up on the show a couple weeks ago, I was like, I've we've had those in Florida for a, a while. I mean, I've never Florida, seen but... something like that. Yeah, me ten and my times more dangerous than darts. It. Oh my god, yeah. it's so much fun though. When you get that, like, especially because you like to break things sometimes. If you get that axe and you just chuck it, oh, it's it's a relief, man. <laughs> what? Yeah, she's um, cool, man. She's yeah, cool. She's the best. She's actually the person uh, my girlfriend and I have been uh, like almost harassing about because she you know loves new york city and we're moving there we were supposed to move there last oh year nice this, nice yeah, pandemic happened we were we yep. were actually about to sign a lease april 1st for 2020 and you know how brokers can be because you i know you've had some experiences in this kind of situation they're like just sign sign the lease electronically from florida because we got approved everything was good to go and we're like there's a pandemic starting like this was like March 20th when everything's shutting yeah. down. They're like, just sign it electronically. You'll be fine. Yeah. And luckily I I've heard horror stories from other comics in Florida who move up there and like the basement, it's a basement apartment and it's flooded and stuff. I was like, we're not going to sign the lease till we're standing in the living room. And then like two days later, everything got shut down. Oh, you dodged a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, you know, Florida opened up shortly after it shut down and you know, neither of us stopped working. So we still have all of our money saved. So we're going to go up there hopefully in July, but we, I keep messaging with Jill. I'm like, is this a good area? Like, I don't know anything about New York. Like what's, what's, what is going on? She's like, I haven't lived there in decades. Like what, why are you asking me? Why did you choose New York over LA? This is uh, kind of a funny story. I always thought I would go to LA years ago, even with my ex fiance, we talked about moving to, uh, to LA. I did a lot of theater when I was younger and I, I was like, I can act and I'm decent enough looking. Like I, I think like every delusional person who goes out to LA, I'm like, I could do it. And then with my current girlfriend, we talked about moving cause I needed, I need to move to pursue comedy. And I brought up LA. She goes, well, I really want to go to New York. She's really into fashion and used to do modeling and stuff. So she's like, I really want to go to New York. And I was like, never been to New York as an adult. I don't really know New York, but I'll, we'll take a trip and we'll see how I like it. And as soon as I walked up off the subway platform and people are honking and cussing and it's just like, I was like, oh, this this is home. Like you're yeah. around all that chaos constantly. There, it's it's amazing. I don't know if I could live there, but it's truly I love the idea and I love like when I'm out there, if at one in the morning I'm hungry, I can go down and get food. Yep. Yeah. Well, and Lenny Bruce is my favorite comedian of all time because I really envy what he was able to do because that's what I want to do is say something with my comedy. So I, I really and I really look up and admire Lenny Bruce. And that's like that whole scene, like that dirty kind of like, yeah, we're working on material here. Like in L.A., you're worried about getting a, a show or, you know, getting a special out, like doing all that stuff. Like we're, we care about jokes here. And that, I mean, it's not true. Like there's yeah, fantastic I know. I comics know. in LA, but that mindset of this is what we're but doing the whole, here. Yeah, the New York energy is, is spectacular. I mean, I love going out to dinner in New York. Yeah. With New Yorkers who know where to go because I've gone in what appears to be a filthy, dirty shithole. <laughs> like it's literally underground. I mean, I've gone yeah. in a bunch of these restaurants where you go down from the street and it's a tiny little restaurant and it's the best food I've ever best had. And ever you're had, jammed yeah. in there like shoulder to shoulder. And it's just so I'm like, where are they making this? I don't understand how this works. How are they getting food delivered? I don't know yeah. what's going oh my on. God. Here. The logistics of it, just from working in the restaurant yeah. industry for so long, just walking down the street. I'm like, this is a nightmare. Yep. Like, the logistics of all. Done? How do they get deliveries? 
I, that, that's like, exactly what I was thinking. Is like, where does the liquor order go? Like, what? Yeah. Well, they all have those those grates that open up on the sidewalk, and they yeah. put it on the platform, and it goes down. But no, you want to see logistics, man? Go hang out in Times or in uh, the theater district when all the shows let out. They let out at the same time, like thirty theaters at the same time. Thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, tens of fifth. I mean, it's got to be twenty five, thirty thousand people just immediately out. And within five minutes, they're gone. Yeah. Well, that's and something like, I noticed about the cellar is especially if we'd go there on the weekend and it would let out and it's a sea of people. And then like if you hang out a little bit too long, like inside the club and they eventually because, you know, they'll kick you right out. Yeah. And then you walk out to the street and nobody's there. And you're like this. Yeah. This was packed. Like, what? Yeah. where did all these people <laughs> yeah. go? Yeah. yeah. It's but I just love the energy of New York and just kind of. I don't know. It's and it's one of those things I'm and I'll be the first to admit I'm incredibly pretentious when it comes to comedy. Like when I see comics do stuff, you know, super low hanging fruit kind of stuff. I'm like, like and people are laughing. I'm like humping the stool and all that stuff. I'm like, come, like, what are we doing here, guys? And I just like that. The vibe of New York where it's like, no, it's like it's about the. Art. Oh, yeah. People I'm get super, called out. Yeah, exactly. And so. Like I talked to, um, we had uh, Matt Fulcheron, a very funny comedian on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he kind of explained it to me. He said, you know, the, just that vibe in New York is just different from LA because he's lived in both. And he goes, there's something actually soothing about the chaos around you. It's calming. Yeah. So I agree, man. I agree. When I'm in a hotel and I can hear traffic outside, it's good. I like it. And for an anxious person like me, when there's all that stuff happening around you, you can't, I can't think about, I can't get in my own head because I'm so focused on everything else yeah. around me that I can't. And I got to say, there's almost nothing cooler than waking up really early and going to the park in New York. Yeah. Because it's like real New Yorkers are out there and you can get some food and just go walk around in the park. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. I love doing, like you referenced too, like real New York stuff. That's the reason we actually went up there the first time my girlfriend and I had only been dating for a few months, but she knew how much I loved comedy. So she booked us a trip to laugh at the garden or garden of laughs, the charity event they have every two years okay. in, Mad in the theater in Madison square garden, because she knows Bill Burr's a huge inspiration for me. And she was like, well, we could drive, you know, five hours to somewhere where he's playing a theater or, or we could just fly up to New York and spend a week up there and then see him at this event. Yeah, that's great. But it was a charity great. event, like for New Yorkers, by New Yorkers. It's like we had no business being there, but I wanted to see. I really love Bill. And so that's why we yeah, went. And me too. Seinfeld was there and Mulaney and uh, Michael Shea. And it was. But that's where I got to meet. It's funny what we're talking about, because that's how I met Dave Chappelle. I say met Dave Chappelle, but we were staying at the Soho Grand and I went out at 730 in the morning to smoke a cigarette. And I'm standing out there smoking and Dave Chappelle walks out of the Soho Grand and I go, holy shit, you're Dave Chappelle. I'm a comic from Florida. I love you. Everybody loves you. And he was like, thanks. <laughs> he just turned and goes, thanks, man, and walked away. And I was like, we're best friends now. I went running up to the room. I was like, me and Dave Chappelle are buddies now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Those are just, some of the best comics around. Mulaney is one of my all-time favorite comics. Yeah, he's hilarious. Bill Burr, absolutely. Have Now, did you... When it comes to comedy, are you kind of be coming up in it and being around it for the past 30 years? Are you, would you consider yourself kind of a comedy snob or do you just, oh, yeah, like, God, okay, absolutely good. All but right. I'm also, all, I'm also, you know, I, I've got my guys that I like, you know what yeah. I mean? I like Burr, I like Spade, I like Attell, I, I like Sarah. 
Todd. I like Kathleen Madigan. I, there's a, I've got my comics. You know what I mean? I, yeah. it's like, I have my music. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I have enough don't music to last that. me and it's not true. There's still people that come out that are fucking great. Yeah. I mean, I, I only discovered Mulaney like seven or eight years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. And you know, the irony is the guy that I went to the store with manages him and Bill Burr. I mean, it's not ironic, but I, you know, he's one of my closest friends and I, I I didn't even like know I knew he managed Burr, but yeah, because you know I've seen Burr, I don't know seventy times. Well, I was gonna say you've but, you've probably seen him when he first came out to L.A. and everything after New York. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen him a lot. God, that's and that's also so fascinating to me because you've seen that with every major comedian ever. Well, in, it's mostly because I work there. Well, that's what I'm saying. You got to see, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had a you had a a, a firsthand account of every single major comedian in the country you've seen for, for my time period because yeah. i genuinely thought i've seen everything i know everybody and then when i started recording this podcast with eddie the bartender at the improv who's been at the improv for 40 years and the first episode was with kevin nealon who was a bartender at the improv mm -hmm. in the 70s and those guys started telling their stories from the 70s and the 80s it blew me out of the water really because i didn't know anything I didn't know anything. I I know my I know eighty eight to now. Yeah, you know, but the stuff that happened in the seventies was insane and phenomenal. And you know, they he has stories about Steve Martin calling in for spots and what them saying we're really full tonight. And he's like, okay, and I'll call back tomorrow and over and over and over. And you know, Andy Kaufman was there every night like regular, and it was just you know I got the tail end of that. Yeah, I got to be there when Rodney was coming in and robe and stuff like that. But, you know, there's there's always going to be a time where people think this is the time. I just I like my, you know, I like it because it was my time. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I became friends with Judd and Sandler and Spade and those guys before they were they were just openers or middle acts. You know, I like the development of people, which is why yeah. I think a lot of people find the podcasts that you do so engaging and interesting because <laughs> I mean, you laugh, I'm a psycho. It, no, but it's a, it's literally a firsthand account. Like, honestly, if you look at it on paper, I have heard you go from, you know, doing the stuff where you guys first started and you accidentally did the film vault over the, yeah. the nationally syndicated radio. Yeah. Getting read yeah. out by max machete night, downtown debacle drinking, you know, before Anderson and Jillian were even married before, Tyler yep. lost his virginity and now yep. it comes full circle. And I, I love that about stories and it's crazy because it's almost uncomprehensible in my mind to think. So every comedian that I've ever looked at other than Lenny Bruce, because he's obviously passed away, but any comedian that I've looked up to as a hero, you've probably seen them when they were like openers and middle I, I can't even say I don't know I don't know I, I definitely I mean, have not seen everybody but I'm but, saying like the people I care about statistically maybe you yeah have seen them I mean I'm I'm very I genuinely have deep deep gratitude and I talk about this with these people when I get to see them I still get to regularly see the people that I came up I, I, I'm not a comic so I can come up with them but that yeah. I worked with in the 80s and 90s, I still see Kevin Rooney, I still see Rich Scheidner, I still see the, these people I love, Larry Bubbles, Brown, Sue Murphy, Greg Barrett, Greg Proops, Dana Gould, he lives up the street. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, I, I still see all, I still, I see Dana on a regular basis. I see Eddie Pepitone almost every day, you know, and I, and all these people I love and Todd Glass, of course, I see yeah. him a lot and I'm, I'm lucky, man. It was just luck, but, but I've got to see fucking the best. I've got to see amazing stuff, like yeah. amazing stuff. I got to tell Bill or, um, who's the comic from Texas? Bill Hicks. I yeah. got to tell Bill this. I didn't remember this, but I had a friend tell me. And then <laughs> I had a friend tell me this. He goes, I remember one night Bill Hicks asked you if he could walk the room and you said yes. And then you looked at me and you're like, what's he going to do? And, and you were scared. And I'm like, yeah. And I just talked to a comic I haven't talked to in years, Ed Krasnick, like a week or two ago on his podcast. And he goes, I was there the night that Bill, Hook, Bill Hicks asked you if he could walk the room. And I was like, wow. I remember him walking the room. I don't remember it being on me, but you gave him the green light to walk the yeah, room. Yeah, and he did. He was so gross. Oh, yeah. He walked eighty yeah. percent of the room. I got to see Richard Jenny one night. Go. I don't feel like doing my act. Do you, Do you care if I just tell regular jokes? And I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, of course I care. Jesus yeah, Christ! My and, life but I was like, no, you can do whatever you want because I was yeah. gutless little coward that didn't want to tell like my hero. <laughs> and it was one of the funniest shows I've ever seen in my life. In in my life, like one of the funniest hours of time I've ever spent doing anything. Watching him just tell jokes for an hour. God, I've seen a ton of stuff like that. You know, I mean, did every... you ever get into any confrontations when? Yeah, with, like. Yeah. Do you have any like anything that sticks out in your head that you want to talk about or you there's want to mention? one big one that I don't want to talk about because it turns okay. out he's my neighbor. Um, Got it. Not you know what? It, I did not get into confrontations with comics <laughs> hardly at all. It was when you're a when you start booking people, it, people's egos, you know, if you're going to book comedy, you got to have thick skin and you got to be really honest. And I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I just want everyone to like me. So I was not good at that. You know what I mean? Not returning calls. It, so of course people didn't like me, uh, you know that that I wouldn't book. Yeah, that's but that's. A I never really position. had any blowouts with comics. I definitely had problems with the owner of the club, but that was, you know, that was on me. Are you talking about uh, Bud? No, no. We had there the owner of all the improvs at one point was one guy who was a bartender at Melrose, and he had money, and okay. he's the first franchisee, and he owned everything. He owned San Diego, Irvine, Brea, Dallas, Addison, DC. Oh wow, he owned every club, um, San Francisco. All so, like of them. the improvs in Orlando, the improv in Orlando, is that related to the improv that like Bud started, or is that? It's probably a franchise from the company now. Okay, I mean, I know it's been there for a while. I know those guys. I mean, I've had gone to owners' meetings with all those guys and stuff. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I mean, I know Joel Batchkoff very well, who owns all the most of the Florida clubs. He yeah. also owns like Stand Up Live in Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know him very well. He's a friend. I think he's a close oh, wow. friend. That's I crazy. think. Small world, man. This is weird. Yeah. Now, just because we run in similar circles, yeah. we know some of the same people. I wanted to ask you, I've because I've booked shows before and I and produced shows, and I can't fucking stand it. Um, <laughs> how? Because I'm the same way. It's like I've got like a lot of these people are my friends, and a lot of them yeah. I really like, and I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's some that I know that are stronger than others, but I like the weaker ones a little more because they're nicer yeah. and they're not assholes all the time. Like what? What was that like being someone who, you know, like you just said, you're a people pleaser and stuff. Was it was it difficult for you personally to to do the job of booking and stuff? Or were you just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it? Yeah. And I should also say I didn't have to book everything. OK, 
we had a corporate that that could but i got to book my own shows and i got to book openers on middle acts all the time but we had the same comics for tuesday through sunday oh okay so it wasn't like hollywood where they have four shows a night i mean there's two different rooms and so there's two shows in the big room two shows in the small room and they'll have like eight or ten comics per show so that page who books that club has to go out of her mind because she's got to fill up four shows a night seven nights a week a lot that's that seems yeah and you can also just get lazy and keep booking the same people but i think part of the reason that adam was so spectacular at the comedy store was because he was very particular and he would uh book who he thought was best yeah he cared that's why the comedy store is packed all the time yeah because we have instances like that with certain clubs um in florida where it's a bar slash restaurant before it's a comedy club which i'm sure you've run into countless times but it's yeah well like laughing skull in atlanta is like that too it's a chinese restaurant with a club in the back and that's the comedy club okay but i just mean it from a perspective of i'm gonna book someone who gets people in the seat so i don't have to pay for the room so i can make money like they don't care about the comedy at all and that's that's a big riff especially in jacksonville there's a big riff between the main club and then the local scene because in order to do the main club, you it doesn't matter how long you've been doing comedy. You, you're either going to headline or you take the class. Like, that's it. And there's obviously some of us in the local scene who have been doing comedy for over a decade. And we're like, we're not taking it. Like, we're not taking a class. You got your fucking mind. Wow. And so it's just this weird, like, <laughs> rift between, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's weird because I'll book actual comedy clubs, like corporate comedy clubs. I'll book all around Florida. I shouldn't say all over. Like, I'm not headlining all over the place. But, you know, I'll get on shows. And then the one in my hometown where I live is like, no, nah, you got to take the class, man. And it's like, wait, yeah. like, what I are know, we doing? Man. I know. I've seen it. There's pe- there's comics I think are the best comics in the world that can't get on at certain clubs. Is it's that just, and that all comes down to just to the booker, right? Or is that a corporate call or I, I in don't, your experience, I should ask? Yeah. I mean, if you rub someone the wrong way, they're not going to book you. And everyone's got an ego. The comics have an ego. The booker has an ego. So it's, you know, it could be a conflict. Yeah, it's a, it's it's rough, man. It's it's rough for bands. It's rough for comics. You get disrespected the whole time. And then all of a sudden you run the show. Yeah, because, you know, we had a, a weird shift in how business was done probably 18 or 19 years ago. And it was Chappelle wanted to uh, I'm not going to talk about the money. Yeah, but he wanted a lot of it. And Chappelle said, here's the deal. I want to do like six nights in Irvine, five nights in Brea, four nights in Ontario. And this is how much I want. And it was more than we've ever paid comics ever, ever, ever. And we said yes. And that opened the floodgates to comics who could sell out seven shows in a row saying, well, I want this too now. And what do you you know? You, it's a thing. Well, I'm sure it's, I mean, they're in charge now where before they had to beg, not beg for spots, but you know, you have to, yeah, a hundred percent do the work. That's what it is. Is like now, like I've got friends that are booking shows like crazy and it's like, well, I've been like, I've been doing this a lot longer. Like, I don't understand. And they're like, Oh, I'm just, I'm reaching out. I'm messaging people. I'm talking to people. Like I'm asking to get on shows. And in my head, I'm like, shouldn't people be asking me to be on their show? <laughs> but it's one of those weird things where it's like, yeah, you're not, you, no one's going to ask you until you get to that yeah. point where they're going to ask you. And then by then it's like game over. And now with, podcasting and patreon and merch yeah. sales and all. i mean i guess merch has been around forever but all that stuff comics can find other sources of income so it's not like a lot of comics not a lot but i know i know there are certain comics who are like 
it, like to the club, like, fuck you. If you're not going to pay me what I want, then I'll just not do it. I don't have to. I know. Do but it. That, I think that's horrible because the whole point for you as a comic is you want to get on stage. Exactly. And comedy clubs are where you get on stage. Yeah. And it's, it would, if I were a comic and I couldn't get on at the main club in town, I would be so bummed out. Like, why do I live here if I can't get on at that place? Yeah. And it's, that's the interesting thing is, especially when it comes to our situation here is like, to be honest with you, I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll do the class. And then like, but then just kind of, I was like, well, I'm moving to New York. Like I, I'll, I'll focus on it then. And there's so many, it's weird too, because there's, I know this is the same in Austin and it was the same in Denver for a while. The comedy works, obviously a fantastic club. So it's a little different because they run that a lot different than here, but yeah. there's a local scene. It's a great that, club. Yeah. It's one of the best in the country, but there's a local scene that goes with the, that club scene. So like in, I know in my situation in Jacksonville, there's mics five nights a week, there's book shows four or five, uh, you know, times a month that are like showcase shows. So like you can get stage time, but it's different because like, again, cause the comedy zone sometimes that's here will book people and you're kind of like, wait, what are we doing? Like what? Yeah. Like what's happening? Like, this isn't comedy. This is a guy who's going to get up on stage and talk about, you know, stories of the sitcom that he was on. Like, what are we, like, what are we, what's happening here? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a it's a tricky thing. I don't yeah. know. Great job, though, if you can make a living at it. Oh, for sure. But that's I wanted to uh, circle all the way back, though, because you you eventually stopped working at the improv. Yeah. Um, and now you're um, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but now you're doing the uh, documentary thing. I am doing I am still working on that. I've been dragging my feet the last year. In fact, doing almost nothing on it. Just I guess COVID is my excuse right now. But I just it was kind of a panicky year the subject it's about death and that's something yeah. fascinates me just as someone yeah. who's because i've been baker acted before and you know obviously being on the cusp of death getting rushed to the er on more than one occasion and stuff that's that's a subject that's always been interesting and coming from your perspective i just i didn't know if you wanted to talk about it at all yeah well i don't want to talk about because i'm not done with it yet and i okay, feel yeah, a tremendous weight on my shoulders because Sorry, i didn't mean to bring it, it supposed to be no you know i mean i i was lollygagging around and dragging my feet and it wasn't what I wanted it to be because I really want it to be more about life than death. I want it to be about getting through it. And and then it's it's evolved so much. I've done so many interviews. And I don't want it to be this depressing thing where just tell me about when your husband died or when so-and-so killed themselves, you know, based around my sister dying. Sorry about that. No problem. That's on me. I should have gone before. I've yeah, we know it's on you, Mike. Thanks. It wouldn't be a, a podcast with Mike Carano if there wasn't a pee break. Come on. I know. It's funny. That's the second time I did that today, talking to someone on Zoom. I'm like, I'm sorry to do this right now, but I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. I guess that apple juice is going through me. Yeah. Got to watch out. Champagne and apple juices. So. Yeah. the comp, comp, You know what's funny is I, I'm not big on nostalgia. And I just discovered that like two years ago. Like when I find old hard drives. nostalgia? When I find hard drives, it just makes me sad. Like I see shows that we did and I see stuff and it just kind of bums me out because I feel old. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that was in the past. Why am I living in the past? But recently, I've, I I have lugged so much shit up here from San Diego. Yeah. The, you were talking boxes about the steamer trunk. And boxes and boxes of stuff. And just recently, I brought that big steamer trunk. Yeah. And four large boxes of stuff. And I found another like. 600 700 negatives in there and i've been scanning them slowly 
but I found so many sweet notes that I had completely forgotten about from comics. Like when I was a kid, like I was probably a doorman. I got letters from Emo Phillips and I found them. What? Yeah. Like he would go, Hey, is there any way you could do me a huge favor and record a woman screaming and, and mail me a tape of that? And I'm like, yeah, it was for a film or something he was doing. And I got one of the servers to scream and I recorded it and I mailed it to him. And he sent me this really nice note. And I was, I found a bunch of the, I found all this stuff from Judy to new, well, they were married at the time, but I found like postcards from Judy and I found cool letters from Dana Gould, like in the night, early nineties. See that's And I, I don't, I, that's awesome to me. Like that's well, like this, I've, I've posted this before, but this thing came as a total surprise because I completely forgot about this. Hold on one second. Mike's getting something. Yeah, gonna be able to find it. What is it? Well, Here it I comes. I forgot all about this. Like, after I booked Gary Shanley, he left this in my office. Oh, get the fuck out And I was like, I found this, like, in a box of stuff. It's still covered in dust. Is that is that from when you guys got into the argument? Yeah, yeah. To Mike, calm down, Gary Shanley. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I showed that to Judd not too long ago, like maybe a year ago. God, that's awesome. But I mean, it's I, I did have. It was one of the best things in my life being involved with that company. It led to everything. It led to Star Trek. It led to the Burt movie. It led to, I mean, it inadvertently led to everything. Yeah. It led to me being able to work on people's movies. It led to me being able to do stuff with Bobcat. It led to probably meeting every girlfriend. It led to the after disaster probably somehow. Well, and that's the crazy thing. That's of course why, it did. Yeah, I, yeah, it yeah. definitely did. And that's why I'm so anxious to get to New York. And that's why I'm, I'm kind of because I wasted so much time drinking and just going out. And then towards the end, I just wasted time drinking alone at my house, like yeah. barely surviving. And yeah, then I got back into because I started comedy in 09. And then I took a break basically from 2015 to 2018. And then when I came back into it, I was like, this is this is what I'm going to do. And now I've wasted all of this time. And now I have to like I have to do it, which is why I'm so anxious to get to New York, because I've had people on here before that live in New York. And they're like, yeah, it's like a comedy festival every night. Like you randomly run into these people. You get to yeah. you get to talk in comedy. And then in my case, because, I, you know, I do comedy, it'd be like, oh, do you want to jump on this show? Or maybe you could be on my podcast or I invite them on my podcast. And then yep. you yep. just ha have all these interactions, which doesn't happen in fucking podunk northeast florida absolutely correct so that's why it's and like it's out of sight out of mind because i have a lot of comics talked you know i was just going to say i shouldn't exaggerate and say a lot but it is a lot i have a lot of comics say i can't even get booked at the improv i can't get this i can't get that and it's out of sight out of mind yeah they have they get flooded and they're not thinking of everyone all the time and there's comics that i love who are great comics that never get booked at the improv friends of mine you know yeah, I and heard a they story. just never got booked. Well, I heard a story about um, I forget who told me, which is probably good that I don't say their name, but they were saying at the cellar, uh, one of the situations is if you're not there on the weekends when like the manager is there and like they're running full steam, you know, with everybody at like the owners and the manager and everything like that. If you're not there on the weekends when they're all there, they'll stop like you'll not you'll no longer be like they'll never they don't care about your avails they don't call you anymore because yeah. yeah. like you said if you're not there to make facetime then they just yep. forget there's so many people yeah. who would kill i would murder somebody to be passed at the cellar 
Like, yeah, you, know, of you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> all right, you're in. Yeah. But it's, one hey, of you know things. what? If you're there, I don't remember if they still have it or not, but, uh, I gorged myself on uh, chicken wings at the cellar because of the chicken wing sauce. And the guy came out and he goes, it's, it, here's what it is. I'll just give you some. It's called Fork You. Fork You? Like, yeah. And I don't know if that's if they still serve it because the last time I was in – no, I guess I was in New York not too long ago. But the last time I was at the cellar was probably 14 years ago. Okay. And guess who that. we saw? <laughs> <laughs> the same people that are there every night, Dave Attell, yeah. Louis C.K. We were there. It was a business trip. But okay. uh, oh, yeah, when we go. So when we go, I always make it a point. I tell my girlfriend, like, because obviously we we're going to visit before we move there. But I every time every trip we go, I go, I don't care what we do during the day. You can plan all that. But we're going to see comedy at night. And it was either the cellar or the stand just because or yeah. I, I don't know. Wait, I got, did the stand close? The stand, so when we went up there, uh, this was March 7th, the stand was open because I went and saw Andrew Schultz and Mark Norman. I think there. it closed. I think it closed over coronavirus. Oh, God. This is going to be. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. We're going to do this live on the podcast just because now, like, that's something where it's like. Well, I hope I'm wrong, but it seems it seems to me that that was one of the clubs that took the hit. For, yeah, so uh, during... it was closed during it was I, obviously it was closed during the coronavirus with everything else but they're posting shows oh good good yeah. no i'm glad to hear it i'm i'm very shocked that all these clubs survived by oh, the yeah, way because andrew yang was at the stand with dave Chappelle to announce comedy was coming back a couple weeks ago that was at the okay. stand. okay okay cool god you scared the shit out of me mike <laughs> comedy's moving from new york to florida yeah, here we go. <laughs> bad no. news. Bad news. I actually, I have a lot of friends that went to Austin because of the Rogan thing. Oh, good. Yeah. So, and, and they're getting it on the ground floor. It's weird with all my experience in the restaurant industry. I'm like, I could probably just get a job at one of these clubs, but I don't know what the, like, what the demand is. When you were a manager, was that like a weird thing where you had people applying all the time to be a server and stuff? Because we were... didn't, we didn't have comics at, that wanted to work at the club. Okay. Hollywood is all that, or it was for a period, but in San Diego, it was people just wanted a job and they wanted to be around it. It wasn't the servers didn't want to get on stage. Like at Melrose, Adam Devine was a answer the phones there. Yeah. You know, Kevin Nealon was a bartender. There's been a bunch of people that worked there that wanted to get on stage. Well, and I know the and some of them did the same kind of thing where it's you you start as a yeah. doorman if you want. Oh, to the store is completely that. Yeah. Okay, completely that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know the people that have worked at the store. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Every comic that got on there worked there at some point. Even Leno kind of worked there. I mean, did work around there and stuff. Leno did work at the improv, like construction and stuff. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Do you know, you obviously you know Jay. God, it's one of those weird things where it's like, yeah, obviously you know that guy. Um, well, I know him from the improv. Yeah, well, that's but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just being in those being in those circles all the, for 30 years, you probably, like I said earlier, you probably know everybody who's anybody when it comes to comedy. But. Well, you know, also there was a, a long period where, where the improv was just magical every single night. And I was there every single night. Yeah. Like I had my San Diego time and that was seven years. And then we started opening more new, newer clubs in Orange County. So I came back to do that stuff. And then I moved my office to LA. So I was there every single night and we had a long a long period where seven nights a week 
it, you know, I mean, it was literally, we had eight or nine years where we had Drew Carey every Thursday and he would bring Ryan Stiles and Wayne Brady and all the, the guys from the show and they would do yeah. Whose Line Is It? Every, every Thursday for like seven years. Wow. And then we had, it was, it was constantly Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Zach, Galifianakis, uh, Sarah was there almost every single night. You know, it was all those people. And then, you know, you'd have two or three months where Tim Allen would be there every night. And then Jay would come in now and then. Not that often because he was at the Comedy Magic Club mostly. But he would, he still comes in. Yeah. Jay comes in on weird nights. He comes in on like Monday nights and funky weird nights and just wants to go do stand-up. But, you know, you'd, it was a magical place where like at one in the morning, the bar was packed full of legendary comics every night. Like people would come there after their shows. When Robin would do a theater, he would come to the improv and hang out at the bar. Gosh. Everyone did. Everyone yeah. did. Every comic would cut, leave their shows, their theater show, and come right to the club. Chappelle, I had to have seen, not his act, because I watched his act a lot, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah. Hundreds. But Chappelle, I've seen him walk in the door probably 400 times. You know, so it it was just a magical thing. Like when Chappelle and Chris Rock would come in. I mean, I, I brought Dr. Drew to a private Chris Rock show in our little room that holds 30 people. And Chappelle was the opener. And this isn't Get, that long ago. This is like three years ago. Get out of here. And the, the room held 30 people. We weren't allowed to advertise. So I think maybe 15 tickets were sold. And it was so it was just surreal, you know, and. I was like, should we, do you want to stay for this? I, I wasn't going to stay because I wanted to go home, but you know, I was told him you can stay for the second show if you want, but it might be the same exact show. Yeah. That, that happens. But I mean, we had a lot of those experiences, that little room. I mean, Dana Carvey loved that room. Sandler loved that little room. He would come in and do shows in the little, as a 30 seater, yeah. like all the time. Do and it was just one of those cool things, man. Do you find with a lot of the comics that you've come to know and become friends with who obviously and again because i'm obsessive about it maybe i i see them in this heroic light but do you find that they still love comedy yeah like the, the art of stand-up yeah yeah those are the those are the guys man yeah, i mean bill burr is a comic till he dies tom segura is going to be doing comedy till he dies yeah spade wants to be on stage doing comedy i mean i, I know he likes doing other stuff adam is all over the map but you know he, adam's a fucking monster adam can do you know, the guy runs a company that's huge. Yeah. He's, you know, just churning out movies and stuff. He can do whatever he wants. And, and I love those guys. You know, I think Swarson will be a comic forever. I think, of course, Stanhope will be a comic forever. Chris Rock will never not be a comic. Dave Chappelle will never not be a comic. Yeah, because I've, I've talked about it with certain people where um, we've discussed about how there are people who seem to get into comedy as a platform to kind of yeah. propel themselves into other things. Yeah. And I just never understood that because this is, this is all I've ever wanted to do since I was a kid. I always thought, and it sounds corny and I know he's not in the best of lights, you know, nowadays, but I remember watching or listening to harmful of swallowed by Dane. And I was just like, I was at that age where I was young enough to get the jokes, but I wasn't like jaded towards anything. And I, yeah. it's the hardest I've ever laughed. It'll... Yeah, Dane. Dane was at the Improv five nights a week for fifteen years. Yeah, That's... like nonstop. And it's it's crazy to me because I know he catches a lot of flack now, but it's like he could still rip the roof off of a place. Yeah, like, don't don't get yeah. it twisted in your head. But yeah. I remember listening to that and being like, oh, because he has that bit about being a firefighter, and he's like, I want to do that. And listening to that, I thought 
I want to do what he's doing. Like, I want to do yeah. that. And it, it's so weird because I, I've talked to people who've, who've said on this show, oh, well, you know, I, my, my real passion is acting or my real passion is this or that. And so I'm just kind of doing comedy to kind of get me ready for that. And I just, it's nice to hear you say that those comics are true comics. Like they're like, no, well, well most what of, we do. I, I think, I think, I don't know. I, I really can't say because I know when I first started, the goal for people was to get on a sitcom, Sitcoms, but the, it yeah. wasn't to become an actor. It was so they could sell tickets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I guess it was so now... they could go to, into a room and sell out a room and do that and build their comp, their career up, you know? Yeah. And to a lesser extent now that's what podcasting has become. And that's why I'm so adamant about my like you know i'm so i guess i don't know defensive protective whatever you want to say about my podcast because it's like my comedy is very dark it's not built for a lot of rooms so i need this as a vehicle to absolutely showcase what i'm doing yeah. for other people yeah and it's it's it can be a double-edged sword because i kind of remember when spade first got on snl and then he would come back to the improv and people were kind of like, that's not his character. Yeah. Like, he, what's he doing? Like, this is him. Well, Saget. Is Saget's a perfect example. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was there for all the rough the <laughs> rough waters. No, but I mean, seriously, I remember when Saget started doing stand-up again. In yeah. fact, I will say this, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, because I definitely do not get credit, but I remember in a meeting, uh, my boss at the time was like, who have we not booked that we should book? And I go, Bob Saget. And he's like, God, but where's Bob Saget been? And I'm like, he's so great. I remember him from the stand-up, from the Rodney stand-up special. Yeah. Like, I didn't know him. I'd never seen him do stand-up. But I remember he was so funny and so dirty on the Rodney special. And we started booking Saget. And people were like, this isn't what I came to see. This, this is This isn't Danny Tanner? Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was funny. It was funny seeing that. Yeah, that's and then there's be. people that are such huge celebrities that no one cares. Yeah, you know, I mean, did, did you ever see Tracy Walker Room? No, I've heard no. I've heard horror stories about Tracy Morgan walking. I've, walking I've room. seen him a lot. In fact, the same guy that I went to the show with managed him. Oh, um, wow. I I've seen Tracy a lot. He's always been sweet, and uh, I've never seen him do something like that. Unless yeah. he, maybe. Maybe he was drunk or something in other places. Well, I heard a story one time about how there was an older couple in the front and he started talking about, I think it was anal or something to the older couple. And then just like went off on a tangent about eating ass and all this, like, you know, <laughs> you know how Tracy can get, I'm going to get everybody pregnant. Yeah. yeah. It just, it got yeah. a little out of control, but I just thought of that because what you were saying earlier about Bill Hicks. Hey Mike, you mind if I walk this room? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. man. I, I genuinely forgot about that story until two different people in the past maybe two years reminded me of it. God, and the, the last one was Ed Krasnick. That was only a week or two ago. And I was like, God dang it. I forgot you were there. I forgot. <laughs> well, what else do you have going on right now? Because I know obviously you have the After Disaster. You have Miscellaneous Adventures of Mike Carano. Yeah. You've got the documentary you're working on. Yep. And I'm editing a money podcast for a friend. Okay. That, oh, I did see keep, that. Keeping my head above water. Yeah. And uh, Anderson and I have been picking up work on this documentary now and then for some for one of uh, he's actually he's like on full on the production staff on that, isn't he? Or, or can you? Not oh, yeah, that? he is a producer. Yeah, I just yeah, do okay. camera work. OK, how but, did you, you know, it's I know I know we're coming to the end, but I, I did want to ask you, how did you get into photography? Because that's something I've always been curious about that. Never total really fluke, man. Up. Total fluke. I, I used to work on this show called. Um, Dennis Miller live on HBO. Oh yeah. Like I started it like 
I was there before anybody to start the show and had was no that, idea what I was doing. Improv? Dennis, like you, you I, Dennis, Dennis stopped me one improv? night after a show and he's like, do you want to come to LA and start a TV show with me? And I said, yes. And I had no idea what I was doing. And next thing you know, I lived in LA and I was in an office at CBS and you were on the roof, right? Yeah. And people are like, what do we do? And I was like, I have no goddamn idea what we do. <laughs> and people from CBS walked us through everything, but I wanted to do something creative on that show and I couldn't the first season and the second season he said I could do whatever I wanted, like creative wise. And I wanted to be the guy that makes the pictures in the set. So I started taking pictures in and they were terrible, but we used them for the set. And then uh, at the improv, it was the same deal. I just got into photography out of the shoot, like day one. I mean, not, I worked for the, at the improv for seven years. And then I left for four years to work with Dennis. And then I was broke and had no job. And I went back to the improv and that was New Year's Eve, 2000, when we opened a new Irvine club. And there was nothing on the walls, nothing anywhere. And I said, hey, do you mind if I put some pictures on the walls? So I started taking pictures. Oh, wow. And that was it. That's just how it started? Yeah, completely. And then I sucked for a couple of years and got a little bit better and a little bit better. Because a lot of the pictures on the walls now, aren't those your pictures? Pretty much all of them. But it depends all on what club you go to. Yeah. Like Hollywood, I think, is all me. And I think Irvine is still all me. I don't know if they changed everything since I split. But Hollywood still all 100% me. That's insane. And I know, I know egos are bad. We're not supposed to have egos, but dude, some of the stuff you've done is just everyone has egos. It's fascinating. I know, but super yeah, you know what you know something? No it, egos. But it it was just being there. It wasn't me. You know what I mean? Like I'm super lucky. Yeah, but like I got like everything that I've done that was the the highlights for me, like Star Trek, the Burt movie, a bunch of other things like that. Other movies was all from that. You know what I mean? I mean, I developed a relationship with Bobcat in the 80s. And so that's why I get to work on his films. And then I get to do stuff with Judd because he, I've been his friend since the 80s. Yeah, but see, that's the thing is you keep you keep chalking it up to luck, but it's not. Well, not, it was me being in it was me being in a place and yeah. and doing work. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I'm some kind of genius that rolled into town and everyone wanted no, to hire me. Yeah, it no, was, that's true. But you have to be you have to be personable enough and you have to be because I hear stories about comics their lives get changed because they hang out with the headliner they're easy Absolutely. to hang out with and they're like hey come on the road with me and then all of a sudden you go from an open micer to featuring for one of the yeah. biggest comedians in the world because you're yeah. a, a good enough person and so that's what i'm saying is it's not jay yeah, more a lot of right place right time but jay moore brought before they were known at all on yep. the road with him i know all the time yeah segura mm -hmm. dr ken bert uh bert uh, Swartzen. Yep. Jay Moore went, this guy is going to be a star. And I, I remember Jay Moore telling me in like 2001, this guy is going to be a star. You watch. And he, you know, he insisted, I want Nick Swartzen to open for me. Did the same thing with Segura, with Dr. Ken. He brought Dr. Ken everywhere. He brought Dr. Ken for on at least 10 different runs. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were, I, when I went to Pittsburgh, they were in Pittsburgh together. When I, Irvine, they were together. Brea, they were together. Tempe, they were together. Yeah, that's insane. You know, well, I mean, just, he does that for a lot of people. He's done yeah. that for a lot of people. And I, like, it just, it's it's crazy because like you said, obviously right place, right time, but people got along with you well enough to where they were like, oh, I want to be around this person more. So it's, yeah, you know, but you'll see like, you. you'll see when you go to New York, don't, it, don't just keep your expectations low and be cool to people. Come on, Mike. If there's one thing recovering alcoholics are good at, it's not having expectations. <laughs> That's Page right. 419. Come like, on. You know what? Like, no, but I've, honest to God, 
like everything <laughs> seems like luck, but it's just being in the right place at the right time because I, I if I wouldn't have gone to my friend's New Year's Eve party, I would not have met Anderson. Yeah, that's true. And then I wouldn't have met Dr. Drew and then I wouldn't have gotten to do this or do that. And it's the same thing with, you know, it was one night I was at the club and ran into Judd and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he was like, hey, can you come with us tomorrow night to UCB to shoot Sandler and these guys? And I was like, yeah. And then they, he brought me to the next one. And then it, then I started making things for him for funny people. Like he's like, I need an album cover. Can you make me an album? You know, and it's just out of sight, out of mind. People forget. But even this shit that I haven't cleaned up yet. Ah, oh, great. Just dropped a bunch of trees. But I have all these miniatures, the Ed Wood miniatures from Dana Gould's. Oh, yeah. Um, but that, and keep in mind, I'm good friends with Dana and I've known Dana forever, but he wouldn't have asked me to do that for his show if I didn't start posting miniature shit on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. So you just don't know where it's going. And I don't know how to make models. When he asked me to do the models for Ed Wood, for Plan 9, I was like, Yes, but I had no clue what I was it doing. It seems to be a running but, theme with your life, Mike. No, it's everyone's life. It's not yeah. my it's everyone's no, true, life. Yeah. Like it's a fluke. Like most of most comics that I knew in the 80s and 90s are writers now. Not most, but a lot of them that were good comics, headlining comics, became very successful TV writers. Mm -hmm. That's not what they wanted to do. It's just where they ended up, and they ended up making a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and so it's just wherever you go, it, it's whatever happens. But uh wherever you go, that's where you are. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of just being around, I think. Uh, one of the biggest showrunners in L.A. was telling me, Mike, I will hire somebody who's who I can get along with over a genius seven days a week. Yeah, absolutely. And he you goes, if I have to sit in a writer's room too. with an asshole, he goes, I'm not doing it. Yeah, if we're but, driving you know, to shows, I'm not going to sit with someone who I hate. Yeah, there's also, it's, a, it's whatever you want. You know what I mean? There's people that are not leaving their town. Adam Caton Holland is not leaving Denver. Yeah. And because he wants to live near his family and he wants to be there. And I totally get it. And there's people that don't want to leave Boston. There's old, there's guys in Boston that are fucking huge in Boston that could have been huge everywhere, but they don't want to leave Boston. Yeah. I heard Rogan and Chappelle talking about that a few weeks yeah. ago. It was the same guy probably they're talking about. Yeah. Whose name I, escapes me right now. Um, God, fuck. I can't think of it either, but he's I, huge. I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's, um, shit. yeah, but I just don't know. Cause he's never left Boston. So I yeah. don't, but it, like they were, yeah. they were, and it's it's so like Dan Cummings lives in Idaho, I think, or Iowa, or something like that. Yeah. Montana. Well, Chappelle lives in Iowa. Chappelle lives in Ohio. Oh, Ohio. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I just yeah. know that because he literally lives like ten minutes away from my mom. Ah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> she she also lives in Dayton, Ohio. Well, Zach lives on a farm out there somewhere. Really? Mm -hmm. But well, and the cool thing too is with the yep. internet age nowadays, you can. Yeah, I've I've heard of a a few comics who go to big cities. Nate is a great example. Goes to New York, gets his footing, and then goes back to Tennessee. Once you get yeah. your footing, you can go wherever you want. Because yeah, absolutely. Internet... Well, look at Rogan. I mean, he's lives in Austin now. Yeah, and he now doesn't need this shit. He's literally created an influx of comedy. I mean, there was already a huge scene in Austin because my cousin who does comedy lived out there. But now I didn't know. Yeah, there's and it's so weird. A lot of times when you hear bigger, obviously huge comics talk about it, they're like, yeah, man, maybe we'll start a scene. And I'm always in my head. I'm like, I'm sure there's people there who would take offense to that. Like there's yeah. a scene there. Yeah, you could go to you could go on Facebook groups and in any city you could think of type in that city and then comedy. There's a scene. Hey, there. I'm sure this is the case with people in every town on the planet, because I imagine every band that moves to L.A. is like, we're going to make a splash in L.A. And you're like. 
I don't know about that. There's a lot of bands <laughs> here already. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's no, like, that's the thing. Yeah, good luck with that. I have a, I, a, like I was telling you before, a bunch of comics moved from Jacksonville to Austin when Rogan made the trip. And it's crazy because one of them, Orlando comic, but went out there just to visit some of the Jack's comics, got, ended up getting on Kill Tony, did so well. He randomly got picked, got on Kill Tony. You know, Rogan's up there, Tim Dillon's up there, Tony's up there, does so well that they booked him on a bunch of other shows, changed his yeah. life. Then we yeah. have, but he was visiting friends that moved there, have yet to get on Kill Tony, like can go every week, not getting picked, not yeah. getting picked. So it's just, yeah. it's so weird and happenstance how it works out. You're probably too young to remember this, but there was a time, well, Ed Sullivan first and then Johnny Carson. Yep. But if you did well on Carson, that's I your, got... your career was set for like three years. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And I witnessed people do it. Roseanne. Uh, I well, mean, the, I'm too, too. In the documentary, they talked about it. Um, in the store documentary, they talked about it. Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they but I saw about... Mike Binder a couple nights ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, he was talking mm -hmm. about how um, some of the older comics, like that's you, you, you worked your ass off to get on Carson because then your career was set, and it was yep. like it was over after that because everyone yeah. watched it. Yeah, yeah. I've per I've performed with comics now who have had late night sets. I bring it up to people and they're like, I don't know who that is. Nope, that and means I'm like, nothing. Is, yeah, it's insane. Hey, Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg said that on stage, like at least 15 years ago in Irvine. Really? He goes, has anyone here seen me on Letterman? Not one hand. And he goes, I've been on Letterman 20 times or 18 <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, wow, wow. That's insane. not one person went. I saw you on Letterman. Yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't. Now you're better off trying to do something on TikTok versus get a late night spot. Yeah. Edit point. I know this is unusual, but I went on a tangent about something that I don't think should be public record. And we'll pick it right back up. But but the thing is, they're not going to last. Yeah. Well, we'll they're just not. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I agree. I tend to agree with you because it's. I mean, if you don't love it, if you can't live without it. Then it's not going to last. Yeah. Well, and that's, I say it all the time. I have no problem being ostensibly poor for the rest of my life if I can do stand up. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. You can't have a plan B because then there is no plan A. And so I've yep. I, and I made peace with that, which is which is cool because not everybody can do that. Like, you know, I have people in my life who work a job in an office and they hate their lives and they yeah. hate everything about I, it. I told my sister that a long time ago. She wanted a job at the improv and I was like, don't do it. And she she got a job there as a waitress and she pretty much put music on the back burner for like four years. Oh, wow. I mean, just completely because she didn't have time. She was working yeah. every night, you know. Yeah, because your sister, she rips the drums, man. Great drummer, yeah. But I mean, it was it was you know, and I felt the same way too. I still am. This the movie has this. It gets discussed in the movie a lot, but you know, part of my anger and my resentment, and my bitterness was that I didn't want to be there, and I didn't want to manage a restaurant, and I just too scared to leave. Yeah. Even my fun job for the last eighteen years, being a photographer and being able to do whatever I wanted. I was like, this isn't where I want to be. And I was just too freaked out to leave because I was getting paid a lot. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the problem is the stability. It's it's a judgment call, you know, stability or not. And, I'll you know, it, it makes sense to take. I mean, in my head, it makes sense to take stability, but I'm not a normal like I'm a psycho. So, yeah, me, I know. Me, you know, me too. Me too. I decided I don't care anymore. I don't care. Well, what ended up, if I you don't, don't mind care. me asking, what ended up happening? Did you? 
did you leave or did yeah. they go a different direction or no, I quit. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know it was kind of vaguely talked about for months on the show. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm going to work here anymore. I don't know if I'm going to work here anymore. And then you just did it. Yeah. Said, Fuck this. I'm out. No, I recorded the whole quitting. It was, did you? it might not be watchable, but uh, yeah, it's, it's in the can waiting. It might be in the movie. I don't know. Oh, I did it while I was driving over the hill. Oh, you did it over the phone? No, I texted it, but I typed oh. the text with a camera on me yeah, and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I spoke it out loud and I started over like nine times. Yeah. Hell yeah. Just like, just like the miscellaneous adventures of my Karana. Yeah. 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 I can't imagine how many times you actually restart. Cause when I listen to that, you're like, I'm going to start over. I'm just going to start over. I'm just going to start over. I don't restart as much that much. No, yeah. I just leave it in now. Yeah. I'm the same way. If, if I say a bunch of shit that is that I think is really, really not interesting. Or if I start having a coughing fit or something, I just delete the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I do that all the time. Like I will, I will ramble for 10 minutes and go, I wasn't even thinking when I was talking, it's not funny. It's not interesting. It's nothing. And now granted I get stuck with a lot of stuff that I think sucks because I have to fill up a couple out and you know, yeah. And some weeks it's just fucking tough, man. Some weeks I'm exhausted. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't. I, I honestly started this podcast. We The idea came years and years ago, but I wanted to do a Bill Burr style or yeah. like a Mike Carano style where I just kind of, I'm like, oh, I'm sober now, but I'm still an angry person. That's probably my biggest character defect is my anger. And uh, I was hey, like, can I, I I'm, you hit the, what you just said right there is a huge part of the movie. What? I mean, it started off with dealing with death. And yeah. then it and then it taught and then it turned into the death was the catalyst for me addressing all this shit. Because I hated the improv man not management, but like the corporate part of them. I hated yeah. those fuckers and I fought them tooth and nail all the time. With and not even fought. It was a one way fight. They weren't fighting me. They were being very nice. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck them. They they can all suck it. They all they're, they're a bunch of idiots. I, I had that attitude. For I have that a long I have that attitude every single day at work. I yeah. I have to literally excuse myself to the bathroom at work at least three or four times and yeah. you know, the whole third step prayer and everything. Cause I'm, I yep. am about to lose my mind. Like when someone but I'll tell you, I'll tell you a year out. Absolutely. It wasn't them. It was me. hundred percent. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's yeah. totally me. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Like I'll be yeah. at work and I'll turn the corner. I'm like, why is there no glassware? Why is the ice not refilled? Like what the, f and I, I've yeah. literally snapped before. Like the other yeah. day, something happened towards the end of the shift and I had a show I had to get to and I was closing and then like something got sprung on me. I literally looked at my manager and go, you want me to polish all this glassware? What if I break all this fucking glassware? Then who's going to polish it? Yeah. Like I said that to my boss. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like what is wrong yeah. with me? Hey, I know. I've done it too. I've done it too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's looking back on it in retrospect. It's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. I was like, what kind of, what? kind of a baby am i oh my god literally that, like, like, after that happened yeah. i went to the show got on stage and i said so i'm a giant baby like i know you look at yeah. me and think i'm a man but i'm a huge baby because i don't my boss wanted me to make wallpaper with a bunch of comics pictures photographs on it and i just didn't want to because i'm a baby yeah and he finally just went after like a year he went listen just fucking make it i will give you five thousand dollars bonus if you make it It'll take you three days. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. And he goes, I don't want to do this, but I'm your boss and I'm asking you to do something. I'm like, I don't want to. 
and it was a po- I was making a point, and I look back on it, it's so stereotypical, alcoholic, oh, yeah. arrogant, asshole behavior. And I, when I quit, I was like, aha, I didn't make the wallpaper, sucker. Like that, that was my first <laughs> thought. Was I didn't make the wallpaper. I have, it's weird because I know you're coming up on 10 years, right? If you don't mind my yeah. asking. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I get three in uh, two weeks and it's Congratulations, just, man. thanks. I appreciate it. But um, this year, it, by the way, has been the best year for, that I've had in, in a long, long time. Really? Like I've been happier. I've been, but I'm also going to meetings every single day and actually doing work yeah. instead of just like, ah, I show up, but I'm not going to listen to anybody. And I've been into it and I've been really trying. I'm, I mean, all, also coming off of two years of therapy. So yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too that I run into is because I I talk about this with uh, my sponsor all the time, but I'm always just like, like I call him and I know exactly what he's going to say because I'm just going to bitch about myself. And he's like, why aren't you working? Like, why aren't you working with other people? Like, that's yeah, your whole job. That's your entire thing yeah. to yeah. maintain your sobriety is to work with others. And then I'll start yeah. working with a new person, and and like obviously a lot of times they fall off and I never hear from them again. But for that week or two or month or two, I'm like man, I haven't talked about myself once. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I think everything's the end of the world. Then I'll talk to somebody who's, you know, literally like dying. And yeah. I'm like, okay, not so bad. Yeah. It's it's, it's all about chilling out. Yeah. Being that's, calm. That's so hard for me. I can only speak yeah, for myself. Yeah, me too. But I just, me I too. So I'm with mad. you. I'm same brain. Same brain. I get so mad. The, <laughs> Mike, I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if I'm going to keep this in or not, but I'm the kind of person I used to get so angry that I would say to my ex, you're just like your mom. And that's why your dad always cheats on your mom. Mm. Like that kind yeah. of anger, like that yeah. kind of. I know. I know. I, I've been to thousands of meetings. I've heard stuff like that. Oh, man. Anyway, yeah. I really. We're psychos. I, We're yeah. fucking psychos. And uh, We should be locked note, up. I have been quite a few times. All right. Brennan, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Is there anything? I hope I wasn't too boring. I feel like I was very boring, but not at all. The listeners of this podcast very thoroughly enjoy, especially talking comedy, and we blended it with drinking stories. It was a blast, man. I really appreciate it. Did we tell drinking stories? Yeah. (laughs) Good. You didn't even catch it, but you a lot of the stories you told involved drinking. Plus, I I love comedy. I'm not sure. How many listeners I have? Because when it comes to the um, RSS subscribers, it says like thirty five hundred. But then I—that's amazing. Well, I talked to far. I think it might be what happened. That's more than I have. But it might. I think it's what happened with you guys in Libsyn, where it it might be giving me an inflated number. My number was ridiculously inflated. Before I'm like, oh my god, my podcast is getting nine thousand people a month, and then it got knocked way down. I mean, a week. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, and it it went down to like twenty five hundred. Did it really? Okay, I'm not sure because. But I don't know if that's legit because I don't fucking know. Okay, I don't. I really don't know. And what I'm about to say is going to sound so fucking douchey, but. The amount of interactions I have with people seems like I have more than that. Yeah. And see, the 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 amount of interactions I don't have with people would make me seem I have far less than that. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> but I'm like, but I mean, is- I'll run into people in the grocery store that'll like recognize my voice. And I'm like, that's cool. Like it happens a I don't want to say again, I don't want it to sound arrogant, but it ha- it happens all the time. Like like best feeling in the world i've ever had was i walked into a supplement shop and it's the one i always go to 
for my workout stuff. And the guy behind the counter was like, dude. And I, I don't talk to a lot of people when I'm out in the world. Like I don't like confrontation. I don't really engage with people. I don't look approachable. So I walked in there and normally it's like, Hey, how you doing? Here's my supplements. All right. I'm leaving. I walked in there. He goes, dude. And I was like, what's up, man? He goes, love the podcast. Oh, that's like, amazing. That's I was fantastic. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I had, I had two of those that were really good. One was I was walking in Santa Monica with Dr. Drew and some woman came running out of an office building and came right to me. My Carano. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was the best. And then the, my favorite one, I wish I knew who did it. I think we were at the Foo Fighters and um, my ex-girlfriend was on TV, had a TV show, a bunch of them actually. But she, uh, someone came through, I could tell they were beelining for her. Like I could just, you just know it. Yeah. And he walked up to her and he went, are you so-and-so? And she went, yeah. And he handed her her his phone. He went, can you take a picture of me and my Corona? <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, that was my favorite one that I've ever seen. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish I knew who did that. God, that's great. Well, it was either Foo Fighters or Pixies. Might've been Pixies. We'll put a call out there. Everybody. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm hoping I, I find out who that person was. Cause that totally was funny. Oh, that's so cool. Well, thank she you. She took it well too. So much. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, of course. Man. Nice Is job. It... Nice job on your sobriety too. That's pretty I, great. I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Time takes time. It's good. Look at how much money you've saved. Yeah, and it's it's the time thing because I, I didn't spend, like I said, it cost me $26 every two days, so it wasn't that expensive, yeah. but it was, it's the time. And now, like, I get on stage and I see these guys who are, like, in their early 20s, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do comedy. And I'm like, I'm fucking 33, still in Jacksonville, Stop. Florida. Stop. I know, I got to. Just do what you do. Let All it happen. Positive, baby. It's going to happen. No, I, I, hey, by the way, the time thing is a very common thread for people that, drank their life away paul yeah. williams talks about 10 years he doesn't remember a thing and during that 10 years he wrote the muppet movie soundtrack um oh, you know made a bunch of records was in Smokey and the bandit i mean he doesn't remember any of it yeah it's i i've had people on because i misremember stories sometimes and i'll have people reach out to me who listen to the show and they'll be like i was there man that's not how that happened and it's just like just like you're saying like i just not knowing there's yeah there's shit that like I've I did this the other day. I went down this wormhole of looking up my arrest records and stuff and leave, reading police <laughs> reports. No, but in all honesty, because I was wasted every time I got arrested. I was like, I wonder what exactly happened. And I'm reading these police reports and I'm just like, what what is wrong with you? Like, yeah. why are you arguing? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Just yeah. go home. Like what? Yeah. Uh, I, I the first time I got arrested, I, I was probably 16 and I was drinking Jack Daniels in my dad's truck parked in a parking lot of a park and a cop knocked on the window. He goes, can you open the door? And I went, nope. <laughs> he opened the door and I fell out and landed on my back and threw up like upwards all over uh. me. And instead of arresting me, he took me home and he took me home after I was yelling at him from the backseat, you fucking cop, you fucking stupid cop. And then he literally had to hold me up because I couldn't stand up. And my mom's like, I don't think my son drinks. And he's like, he's definitely been drinking. Oh, God. And I'm like, this fucking idiot thinks I've been drinking this <laughs> fucking cop. And I think back on that. I'm like, wow. God. I should have had my head bashed in with a stick. Yeah, yeah there's it's uh, there's so many times where I've like and I've I've obviously gotten my ass kicked for my mouth on certain occasions. But it's just like. Like you said, it's it's not it's something obviously. I and I tell this to be anybody 
that'll listen. Like, I don't like to harp on it because it, it's, it's a negative thing and it can drive you insane thinking about the time that we've lost, but it's just, it's weird. Cause it's just, sometimes it's something you can get, I can't get resentful about because it's like, yeah, but you got, you got to learn to get, let it go because yeah, you have no control over it. Yeah. And well, that's something I'm and trying you know to what? get better at. It's fine. It's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Maybe, maybe your act in 10 years will be because of that. You don't yeah. know. Well, and it's you something, don't know. it's something really cool that, um, has been said to me before, but it's like, everything's going to happen just the way it's going to happen. And that's, yeah. it seems so simple, but for a control freak like me, it's like, yeah, me too. Oh me yeah, too. that's true. Yeah. It's like, like I don't want it to New happen York how it's going to happen. Yeah. I want to control it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with it. That's I'm why totally I like you. flying. Every decision. Oh my God. I hate flying because I'm out of control. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one because one person is in control. Yeah. This Fuck that me. guy. I had, <laughs> yeah. I had an ex, I had an ex whose dad was a pilot and I was talking to him about, she's like, yeah, Brennan hates flying. And he goes, Oh, you're a control freak. Like just called it just like that. And I go, yeah. What do you like? How did you get that from that? And he goes, cause you're out of control when you're in the back of a plane. Yeah. He goes, yeah. normally it's control freaks that hate flying. And I was like, this fucker's yeah. got my number. I'm out of control in the back of an Uber, but if worse came to worse, I could overpower the driver. Yeah. Or you could just I jump out and least. you're fine. Yeah. 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 Oh man! I hope I'm never in a situation where I need to overpower a taxi or an Uber driver. You walked out of an Uber though. Yeah, a uh, taxi. Yeah. Oh, it was a taxi. I thought it was an yeah. Uber for some reason. No, that was mushrooms. Mushrooms and alcohol. Okay. Did that. Yeah. And then I pretty remember fun. pretty not fun night that I look back on and try to pretend like it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got a lot of those. And then you invented Uber. That's what it was. You invented Uber. Oh, that's right. I remember. Yes, I did. Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> and in case your listeners are wondering, I did invent Uber, but I didn't capitalize on it. No, but uh, hey, everything happens. You know what I mean? I'm going to beat myself up for the rest of the night for not cashing in on Uber. I'm sorry to bring it up. All right. When it was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get out of here. I know you got stuff right. to do. I don't want to keep you. Oh, my God. Late. Is it is it one thirty nine in the morning for you? Yeah. 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 Oh, holy smokes. You I recorded this the- time every week. No, no, no. Only when I do shows with West Coast people. I, I work in the night. Oh, I could have done earlier. I'm sorry. No, I, I, it's, it's, I only did that because, again, I didn't know what your schedule was like. But then I was like, well, I know Mike. I appreciate it. Busy, yeah, so I could have done earlier. Just done. FYI. Okay. But too late. Yeah. Well, we already got it done. Um, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Subscribe on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Brennan Tassif. Check out the After Disaster on Patreon, patreon.com slash after disaster to listen to Mike and Tyler and Anderson. Um, check out my website, brennantcomedy.com for all of my upcoming dates. Farewell to Florida tour starts in June. So I'm moving to New York in July, baby. Anything you want to uh, plug or promote or anything like that, Mike? Or just nope. Keep on. Keep you got on. it all. Yeah, there thank you, you. Miscellaneous Adventures of Mike Carano. I really appreciate you doing the show, man. Thanks a lot. I'm glad you I'm glad we talked. That was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. 